It was three in the morning. I stumbled into my apartment, wasted, starving, carrying a bag of greasy takeout boxes filled with a ginger beef, barbecue pork fried rice. I wolfed it down and then passed out. Typical Saturday night. Wake up the next morning with little memory of the night before and the kitchen's a mess. Dirty plates in the sink, grains of rice scattered across the counter. Feel nauseous and head to the washroom and puke out everything in my stomach. Typical Sunday morning. Start cleaning up and notice a half-eaten fortune cookie sitting on the table with that thin strip of paper right beside it. I walk over, eat the other half of the cookie, and prepare to throw the paper out. But before I do that, I decide to give it a read. Or giggles, you know. The people in the basement remember you. I almost laughed at first because it seemed like something that I would do. Some cheeky young hire at the fortune cookie company slipping in a few creepy messages as a joke. I could appreciate it. It was funny enough. Then I turned it around, and in place of the usual row of lucky numbers was what appeared to be an address. Now this was strange. The first thing I thought was that maybe it was the address for the factory the cookie was produced in. That made sense. But did it really? If it was supposed to be an extension of the first joke, then it didn't quite track. But it could also have been an oversight. A mistake in the print. Whatever, I thought. I tossed the paper into the trash and got ready for the gym. My way of feeling like less of a piece of crap after a night of heavy drinking. Predictably, it wasn't the best workout. But that wasn't entirely due to the hangover. I couldn't seem to stop thinking about the address. It hadn't quite registered the first time I'd read it. But as I thought about it on the treadmill, I was pretty sure that I knew it from somewhere. It was familiar. Finish with free weights, take a shower, and then sit in a coffee shop with a sandwich and an espresso. And I'm still thinking about where I'd seen it before. After getting home, I tried to resist the urge to fish the fortune out of the trash. I asked myself what the point was. Even if I did recognize it from somewhere, how was the effort worth it? In retrospect, that was more of a cope. The source of my apprehension had been deeper than that. Though it was something I couldn't quite understand at the time, I felt nervous and I couldn't justify why, which only served to make me even more nervous. Eventually I caved and began digging through the trash. I held the paper up, looking at the address for a long time before a vague recognition slowly began to sink in. Then I sat down at the computer and searched it up on Google Maps, and as soon as the images loaded up, the memories began to flood in. The street. I grew up on. The woods behind the cul-de-sac. The house that sat across from ours. I stared at the screen until it started not to feel real. Then I rechecked the address four or five times, but there was no mistaking it. That was it. One of the houses I grew up next to. Immediately, I tried to rationalize it. What if somebody who's associated with the company lives there? Maybe something got mixed up and his data ended up in a fortune cookie. No, I thought, that couldn't be right, because that house had burned down years ago. I tried to think back to that time, but I found that my memories of it were strangely distant, hard to recall. I must have sat there for hours, thinking, failing to recall anything of note. All I knew for sure was that for the vast majority of my childhood, up to the beginning of high school, I lived right across from that house. And then something happened that caused it to burn down and I moved away. I couldn't for the life of me remember what that event was. If anybody died, 
Hell, I couldn't even remember who had lived there. We must have met at least a few times, I thought, but I came up with nothing. It wasn't even the case that I'd been too young, since I had memories from before we'd moved there. This just didn't sit right. For to be coincidence would be crazy. There was literally no chance. So then what was this? It was a paralyzing thing to have in your mind. And it turns into all you can think about, all you can focus on. Answers. I needed answers. Now, there were a few options, the first being to go back to the takeout place in order to ask questions. Problem was, I'd pretty much blacked out that night and had only the haziest recollection of even ordering. The other option was obvious enough. I had the address, after all. It wasn't too far away, maybe a 45-minute drive out of the city. As far as safety, I couldn't imagine there being an issue. It was a suburban community, and it wasn't like I was planning on breaking into the place or anything. So I settled on it. I made the drive over the next morning, and the house was exactly like I had thought, completely burnt down, a blackened shell of a place. I thought seeing it in person might cause the memories to flood back in, but that didn't happen. I sat there in my car for 10, maybe 15 minutes, and at no point did I ever see anybody else outside. So I decided to go in. I know that I said I wasn't planning to, but there was no way I was just going to leave it like that. There was no police tape. No signs telling me to stay out. And if there was anybody squatting, I'd just leave the way I came. So I walk into the house and immediately my senses are assailed by dust and the smell of old burnt wood. It's darker than I had expected, and I use the flashlight on my phone to navigate. Look around the living room and then I remember the fortune. The supposed people in the basement. The hairs on the back of my neck stick up. I stop, listen carefully. Nothing but a light breeze outside, and this gives me enough confidence to approach the basement door. It's closed, and the area around it seems to have taken less damage than the rest of the place. It almost looked untouched. Reach out and grab the knob and push open the door. A wall of gloom. Shine the light down, and it becomes smothered after the first few steps. Stand there for a while, listening to nothing but my own breaths. And then I hear something else, something faint. Maybe a footstep, but I can't be sure of it. Then I hear it again, and then again as it gets closer. Definitely a footstep. Probably a squatter, I think. It has to be. I want to call out and say something, but can't bring myself to do so. The air seems heavy, and there's an electric feel to it. It's unnatural. I don't like it at all. I hear some more footsteps, and then it's joined by another pair. And then suddenly it sounds like a dozen feet are stomping in unison all of them getting closer to the base of the stairs. I slam the door shut and run out of there. Afterwards, I was sitting in my car, breathing heavy, trying to reconcile what the hell had just happened. I looked over at the house, almost expecting something to burst out the front door. A horde of emaciated ghouls or something. But nothing came, and so I calmed myself down and drove away. If I went looking for answers, I obviously didn't find any. After arriving back in the city, I pulled over to the side of the road and took out my phone and looked through my search history, finding the bar that I'd gone out to that night. I drove over there and searched around the area, and sure enough, there was a small takeout place tucked into the far corner of a dingy strip mall. I stared at it, trying to see if I could rouse up some memories of what had happened that night. It didn't work, but I was still sure that this was the right place. I got out of my car and walked in, practically storming up to the counter while the woman behind it stared at me with confusion on her face. 
that was palpable even behind the forced smile. What can I get for you, sir? she asked. Suddenly I felt like the biggest idiot alive. What the hell was I supposed to say? What was I doing here? Then I remembered that I had the fortune in my pocket, and so I took it out and held it up. Uh, I was just wondering uh, about this fortune I got. You see, there's an address on it, and I... It... Stammering through the sentence, I watched as the woman's smile began to fade. Slowly at first, until it morphed into a scowl. Something malicious. But just as soon as it does, it's back to the smile, causing me to question whether or not I had really just seen that. Just wait there for a moment, sir, she says to me, before disappearing into the kitchen. I look around. Nobody else in the restaurant but me. The place was blanketed by a creeping silence, the kind where you're just waiting for it to be broken. My eyes begin to wander, and I look up at a big, framed analog clock. Its hands aren't moving. Then I look down and pick up one of the paper menus sitting in a stack on the counter. Open it up and every single item is just the same line of gibberish copied over and over and over. I tense up, feeling like I've just walked into some obscure trap. I put the menu down and prepare to leave, taking one last glance back to make sure that nobody's following me. And right before I'm about to turn around, I see it. A face staring at me through the kitchen window. It was pale and had a dead stare, and there was something off about it, something not quite human. I didn't look at it for long enough to figure it out. I backed out through the doors and once in the parking lot, I turned around and sprinted to my car. From there, I sped back to my apartment. My heartbeat elevated dangerously high the entire drive. I started to get a bit paranoid. Maybe something had followed me. Maybe something was hiding inside my bathroom. Thoughts like that. After a while, I was able to calm down and I started to do some research on the restaurant. Nothing came up. No website, no telephone listing, nothing. A Google map view of the street shows only the store that had presumably existed before it. None of this crap is tracking, and so I resort to looking for answers from a source I wouldn't have gone to otherwise. My father. Now, you need to understand that I have something of a strained relationship with the man. In other words, I haven't made contact with him in over a decade. I don't know where he lives, or what he's done with his life, or if he's even alive. I guess a relative would have told me if he had died, but I can't even be sure of that. The strangest thing is, as I sit here thinking about it now, I can't even pin down why this would be the case, where my apparent resentment towards the man would be coming from. The memories I have of him are decent enough. I can't recall him ever beating or screaming at me, or nothing like that. The more that I think about it, the more I get that feeling that it all has something to do with that house. But I still had his number, and so I decided to give him a call, just to ask some questions. I was almost certain that he would have changed it by now, but he ended up answering. Of course, the call started out awkward. I was stumbling over my words, trying to find the right things to say, which was something that seemed next to impossible. Despite this, he sounded strangely calm about the whole thing, almost as if he'd been expecting the call. I went ahead and told him about everything that had happened. The fortune cookie, the house, the footsteps in the basement, all of it. I wasn't sure what kind of response I was expecting. That he'd call me insane, maybe? Ask me what in the hell I was even talking about? Why, after all these years of zero communication, I'd be coming to him with some stuff like this? But surprisingly, he seemed to be understanding about it. He seemed to be taking me seriously. 
He told me to calm down, that he had something he needed to tell me, something he should have divulged years ago. But he needed to do it in person. He told me that he was living in a town a few hours away, that he'd drive over and meet me at 3 p.m. tomorrow. I asked him where. His response? The house. That house. I asked him why it had to be there. We could meet anywhere else. For obvious reasons, I had reservations about going back to the place. All he said was that I shouldn't worry, that he'd explain everything once we got there. The conversation certainly left a lot to be desired, but I've decided to go anyway. I'll sleep on it first, though. Maybe I'll change my mind in the morning. But I don't think I'll be satisfied until I get some answers. So I decided to go. I realized the more time I spent thinking about it, the closer I'd get to talking myself out of it. And that couldn't happen. Somehow this felt important, important that I figure it out. I drove over to the neighborhood and parked on the street opposite the house, in the exact same spot I had as last time. It didn't take long for the unease to set in, and I tried not to look over at it, even though the burnt wood was always there, creeping into the corner of my vision. Thankfully, the street wasn't as empty as last time. There were a few cars parked in some driveways and even a couple of kids kicking a ball around one of the lawns. It took a while for me to settle my nerves, to make a firm commitment to stay there and wait. I'd gotten there an hour early. I suppose it was a way of giving myself an out, a chance to bail at the very last moment. A few minutes later, I got a call from my sister, asking if I'd be able to drive her somewhere later that week. I agree, and almost in passing mentioned that I'm about to meet up with Dad, as if that could possibly be something that she'd go on and ignore. As far as I was concerned, she didn't talk to him either. The moment I tell her this, the line goes silent, and I begin to think that she's hung up on me, but then I look at the screen and the call's still going. Hello? I ask. Sarah, you there? What do you mean Dad's coming to meet you? She asked. I sighed. Look, it's a long story. I called him up yesterday and we decided to meet up. He said he's living close by and that he'll make the drive over. Close by? She interrupted, sounding confused. What are you talking about? Dad moved to Australia. He's been there for years. Now I was the one rendered silent. What? How do you know that? I asked. She goes on to tell me how she started talking to him again a few years back, a way to reconcile things after the incident. I really didn't like the way she'd said it. What? I shook my head. What incident? She goes into another bout of silence and then after a while says, The house. The fire. You really don't remember? I told her no, I don't, and all of a sudden, I start to feel really dizzy. I check the time and it's 20 minutes before my dad is supposed to show up, and I feel a pit growing in my stomach. I start to look around and I end up focusing in on the two kids playing in the yard. At first I wasn't sure why it was so unsettling, but after a while I realized that it was in their movements. Too emotionless. Too mechanical. Almost like they were trying to pretend to be natural. They were literally just standing in place kicking the ball in a straight line back and forth. No talking, no laughing, just blank stares. I suppose the sight of them had put me into a trance or something, because when I looked back at the clock, it was 3.01pm. I checked my phone. The line had been cut, and it looked like Sarah had tried calling me back a few times afterwards. My heart began to beat really fast, and I looked around, but there was nobody else that I had arrived. I took this as a blessing started my car and prepared to get the heck out of Dodge, 
when I caught movement coming from the corner of my eye. Somebody had opened up the front door of the house from the inside. For a moment I sat stunned. I didn't want to look. I knew that I shouldn't, but of course I couldn't stop myself. Standing in the darkness of the doorway was something tall, something pale, and naked. It had skinny limbs and a box-like torso, but its head was too high up to see, blocked out by the doorframe. It stood there for a long time while I tried to find it in me to move. You need to leave, I kept repeating in my head. You need to get the hell away. Yet I couldn't. I was basically paralyzed in place. Eventually the person, or whatever it was, moved. It hunched its head while its shoulders stayed in place, and the moment I saw its hanging, grinning jaw, the mouth filled with long, black teeth, I snapped out of it and put my car into drive and sped away. After getting home later that day, I considered my options. Of course, I could just do nothing, forget it all. Never go back to that house or hell, even that town. Never bring it up to nobody. Just cut all ties with the situation as a whole. But somehow that felt like the wrong move. Just a subtle inkling that if I were to try and ignore it, things would become even worse. That something would go out of its way to pursue me. I needed to deal with it. But in order to do that, I first needed to understand what the hell that thing was. I've always had this suspicion that there were certain things that my mind had been repressing all these years. And that call with my sister had all but confirmed it. It made sense. The lapses in memory the estranged relationship with my dad. I'd never bothered thinking about it before because life had served as a good enough distraction. And maybe that's exactly what I'd wanted, what I'd been hoping for. But now it was obvious that the past wasn't willing to let me go. I called my sister again and asked for my dad's number, his real number. As soon as he picked up the phone, I noticed the differences in his voice compared to whoever the hell he'd been talking to earlier. But the screwed up part, was that they still sounded somewhat similar, as if the fake had made a concerted effort to study and emulate not only my dad's voice, but his way of speaking. And he'd almost nailed it. But I hadn't been able to compare to the real thing within a short amount of time, it probably wouldn't have even registered. We started off by exchanging awkward pleasantries, but I was eager to get to the bottom of things, to find out the truth behind this incident. I'm sure I had forced myself to push it away for good reason. But once again, this had become something that needed to be dealt with. Once I brought it up, my dad was silent. And after a while, he sighed. You really don't remember? I assured him that, no, I did not. After hesitating for a few moments, he went ahead and laid it all out based on what he knew himself and what he had been told by the police after the fact. It happened when I was 14, one year before starting high school. Dad was working late at his office, so I'd been home alone at the time. Sarah was out on a week-long school camping trip or something. Just as he's getting ready to leave, he gets a phone call from the police. The house across from ours had burned down, and when the firefighters had gone in to rescue anybody trapped inside, they had found me. Can you guess where? In the basement. Completely passed out minutes away from being fully engulfed in flames. There was nobody else in the house. Just me. Of course, Dad rushed straight to the hospital, and when I came around several hours later, both him and the police were grilling me, asking why I'd gone into the house to begin with. According to him, my responses had been mostly incoherent, but from what little they could decipher, I'd gone in because I needed to get to the portal in the basement. 
As soon as he said this, my blood ran cold. I listened on. Apparently the comps were suspicious of me, suspect number one, even though there was little supporting evidence of my involvement, besides the fact that I was the only one in the house. Eventually they dropped it, boiled it down to some freak accident. The young couple that owned the house were never found, and when they asked my dad and the other neighbors where they might be, nobody had a clue. In fact, once they thought about it, they realized that none of them had exchanged more than a few words with these people in any given interaction, and nobody knew what they did for a living. A few of them had even said that they had only ever seen them leave their house late at night and return early the next morning. The next thing he told me was the part that had really freaked me the heck out. While I was still in the hospital, the firefighter that had first found me approached my dad and said that he knew for a fact that I couldn't have been the one that burned down the place. My dad asked him how he could be so sure, and this is what the guy told him. When he'd seen me in the basement, I wasn't actually alone. I'd been passed out, and that part was true, but standing at the end of the room were other people, maybe a dozen of them, all clustered together in a tight crowd, but they weren't right. They were too tall, too pale, their faces too long, their grinning mouths too wide. The most upsetting part was that they were all naked and standing perfectly still within the roaring flames. For a moment, Jake thought that they might have been lifelike statues. He hoped that they were. He called out to them, Are you all right? They didn't respond or move at all. So he felt safe enough to walk forward and grab me, but the moment he did, he could see all of their expressions change in unison, the smiles suddenly replaced by looks of sheer malice. He said it was the first time. He said it was the first and only time he'd ever seen pure evil in front of him. My dad explained. It was in their eyes. A complete lack of soul. Jake then lifted me up and started to carry me away as the smoke began to get suffocating. He thought he saw one of them step forward, but that's when he lost his crap and bolted. I'm not sure I believe it, my dad continued. But... I don't know what he'd gain from lying. I really don't. He went on to explain how for the next few days following the incident, I'd been borderline catatonic, wouldn't speak, would barely eat. The only person that Jake had told that story to was my dad, and even throughout the entire ordeal he kept it to himself, because who would believe it? Right before they began to seriously consider seeking out professional help, I snapped out of it. Just like that, no memory of the incident, but strangely enough I had asked to be sent to live with my uncle, all the way over in a different town. I didn't tell anybody why, but I had seemed dead set on it. I never talked to my dad after that, but in all fairness, he hadn't tried reaching out to me either. I wasn't sure what to say or think, so I told him goodbye and hung up. Tall, pale, long hanging grins. The people in the basement remember you. The more I thought about it, the more I could begin to remember it, the voice luring me in, the stinging heat of the fire, the faces, the strange dancing, the chants, that purple void in the corner. I shook my head. Screw this, I thought. Whatever the hell this was, I wasn't about to be dragged back into it. I called the police and made an anonymous tip. I told them that I had good reason to suspect that there were a group of people running a meth lab in the basement a burnt-down house a few towns over. I told them that I had good reason to believe that they were armed and violent to send more than a few cars, 
maybe even the SWAT. And I gave them the address. And that marked the last of my involvement with this mess. I won't let them drag me back into it. I won't bite, no matter what they do. I won't look at the children playing out in the field below my balcony. The children that were never there before. I won't answer the calls from unknown numbers. I won't open the fortune cookies that keep coming for me in the mail. I won't let them win. <laughs>